You are listening to content from Christ Our Hope Anglican Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. For more information, you can find us on the web at ChristOurHopeAnglican.org. And now, here's today's message. I apologize in advance, but I'm going to sing something to you this morning. Um, and I'm going to sing a song by a group of musicians called Rain for Roots. Um, Rain for Roots is not really just a, a single band. It's a collective of musicians who um, come together. to their, their stated purpose is to write singable scripture songs for kids and grown-ups alike. And they do a great job of it. Um, and in fact, I can sign, kind of sort of sing some of their songs. And the tunes are actually really catchy. Um, but one of the first of their songs that I ever heard is called Good Fruit. And it goes something like this. If you are a parent who knows Rain for Roots, if you're a kid who knows Rain for Roots, if you're an adult who doesn't have kids who knows Rain for Roots, and you happen to know this song, please sing with me to help uh, <laughs> mitigate my embarrassment. But the, the song goes something like this. It says, apples don't grow on pear trees. Apples don't grow on pear trees. Apples don't grow on pear trees. No apples there, it only grows pears. Bananas don't grow on plum trees. Bananas don't grow on plum trees. Bananas don't grow on plum trees. No nanas come, they only grow plums. Your heart is where the words of your mouth grow. Your mouth is where the thoughts of your heart go. Jesus, change our hearts to bear, to bear good fruit. So, you all are too kind. Um, so as I said, the, the goal of this, of this group is to make singable scripture songs. And so this comes actually, this particular passage comes from Matthew chapter 12. It comes from a confrontation, uh, one of many, that Jesus is having with the Pharisees, where he is um, speaking to the Pharisees and he is telling them that the, the, what is in their hearts will come out of their mouth. He's condemning them for their hypocrisy. And he's saying that what you say is going to reveal what is inside of you because it is always true that the, the fruit of your heart will actually come out of your mouth, that it will be borne out in what you say and people will know what is in you by what you say. And we are not looking at Matthew chapter 12 today. We're actually looking at Matthew chapter 4. But I think that this principle is actually really significant here for looking at Matthew chapter 4 and understanding what is happening. As Jesus moves from Nazareth to Capernaum, as Matthew is recording this move, he goes from the small town of Nazareth to the relatively busy seaside town of Capernaum. Um, and Matthew says that his presence there fulfills a prophecy given by the prophet Isaiah. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 15, uh, he says, or beginning in verse 14, he says, So what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. 
And I actually think that it's kind of significant with the way that this happens in the narrative of Matthew. This proclamation of the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy happens before Jesus has done anything for his ministry. The only the events that have happened with Jesus on the stage, Matthew has recorded Jesus' birth. He's talked about John the Baptist and the baptism of Jesus. Jesus has gone out into the wilderness to face temptation from the devil. But he has not begun his ministry yet. And yet just his presence in this land, just by being in this place, Matthew is able to say that the Isaiah's words are fulfilled, that in this land the people have seen a great light. For those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. But it is also true in the way that Matthew records this, that out of the abundance of the heart come the words of the, amount, of the mouth. Because immediately after he records his presence in this place, where his very being is a light to the people, he begins to preach. Jesus begins to preach. And his first words as a preacher are recorded. And Matthew tells us that he went around proclaiming, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And this principle, this connection between our inner being and the words of our mouth, just as it is true for the Pharisees, it is true for you and for me, it is true for Jesus. In fact, I'd say that it's actually more true for Jesus than for anyone else. Because for all of us, our hearts are a bit murky. We have a conflicting natures within us where there's sometimes there are things that we feel in our heart and we like stop it from coming out of our mouth. We have those moments where we go, I can't say that among these people. I can't let that out here. But Jesus doesn't have this problem because Jesus has perfect integrity. What he is inside is what comes out in his mouth. There is no conflict in between. There's a quote from uh, David Benner, who um, is a Christian psychologist and he writes several, he's written several books about sort of the spiritual nature of, of people and of the self. And there's this quote that he has that talks about sort of this murky nature of what comes out of us. He says, the self we create is a persona, a mixture of the truth of our being and the fictions we spin as we attempt to create a self in the image of, our inner, of an inner fantasy. The simple truth of our being gets lost in the meta-narratives we spin. We become the fictions we live. Consequently, our way of being in the world is so false and unnatural that our presence is thoroughly ambiguous. It is no wonder that we find the presence of most people so clouded as to be not worth noticing. And it is no wonder that a truly unclouded presence is so luminous and so compellingly noteworthy. Jesus has a compellingly noteworthy presence, a luminous presence. He is a light on people who have lived in darkness exactly because he has this perfect, consistent inner integrity. And of course, it's also because, not because of just the fact that he is a man who has achieved some enlightenment of integrity, but because he is pure in and of himself, that his being itself is the being of, of the Son with the Father. He is God. God is able to speak of himself and say, I am. 
That's how clear his internal consistency is, that his words that come out is directly flow from his being, everything that he does. And this is true throughout all of the Old Testament. God's being and his speech are always directly connected together, and his speech flows out of the abundance of his being. So we have at the very beginning of the, of the Bible, we have God speaking in creation. And out of the abundance of his being, his word is spoken, and it contains life, and it creates life. We have throughout the Old Testament the records of prophecy, that when the word of God is given to a man or a woman to proclaim, that when they proclaim those words, they are true, always 100% true, because they find their root in the being of God. We have the promises of God that are given over and over again. And we are reminded as the people of God how faithful and true those promises are. Because there is no shadow within him. There is no question whether what he says will be done. Because he is perfectly speaking of who he is and he has the strength and power to accomplish all that he says. And the same thing that is true of God's word throughout all of the Old Testament is true of Jesus and his speech throughout all of the New Testament. In his speech, Jesus confronts people. And there's always in the narrative this this sense that the words that he gives are piercing, that they go right to the true heart of the matter. Somebody tries to bring up an issue here, and Jesus looks in and speaks and says, no, wait, the problem is here. Will you listen? He speaks words of healing, and when he says, be well, a person is well. There is no doubt that it will be accomplished. He speaks words of exorcism, going up not just against the powers of germs and sickness, but against spiritual powers that seek to enslave and bind people, to keep them from God, to separate them from the people of God. And he speaks and they flee because of who he is, because he is the Son of God, and because his speech always perfectly reflects his being. And he speaks the call to people to follow him. He says, come and follow me. And that word transforms and changes people because it is effective, because of who he is as the very Son of God revealed and given to us. The Gospel of Matthew records all of this. It has all of these different kinds of scenes with Jesus. And because of the integrity of his words and his being, These words move through the ages and they continue to have power even today. We, of course, have records of of great men and women, of things they have said, and there's ways in which that resonates with us and we can read books that were written long ago and there's things that we can learn from it that pass to us through the ages. But there is a particular power that comes in the words of Jesus and comes through the word of God. There's a sense in which when you're reading a person and their word is coming down through the ages, it's kind of like shouting out to somebody trying to hear, they can try to hear you from far away. And the further away you are, the the harder it is to actually hear what they're saying. There's this sense in 
which you're, you're not right next to them and the, the sound dies out and maybe I won't quite be able to make it clear and understand it. But there's a sense in which because of this beautiful, perfect integrity that the Word of God when it comes to us is given to us more like light traveling across the reaches of space where it doesn't fade, it doesn't change, it doesn't diminish as it's coming. The star's lights that are, that are so far away that we can, can't even fathom the distances, they still reach us and they have this pure and bright and piercing light and they come to us and that light is the same light that left the star and it comes and it, it strikes us. And this is the true of the Word of God. And I think it's rooted in the character of God in the perfect integrity that He has and it's rooted in the fact that he continues to give us the inspiration of his Holy Spirit, that his being is still here and present. His, he has not passed away so that he's speaking to us from across a distant age. He is speaking to us here and now. The word of God is being proclaimed to us. When we read the scriptures, we are reading something that is inspired by the Holy Spirit and is given to us. And so it strikes us and pierces our hearts. When we hear the word of God proclaimed, we are hearing the word of God active, the Holy Spirit working in your heart and in mine to proclaim again and again the words of God to us so that we can hear it and be changed. And this is possible because of the perfect word of God is spoken and given to us. And so this is an, every time that we have this, there's a sense in which because of there is this perfect consistency between the Word of God spoken and the being of God, that when we encounter the Word of God, we're actually encountering, encountering the being of God as well. When we encounter the words of Jesus, we are having an encounter with Jesus himself. Because the one is directly connected to the other. It's not murky and faded and disconnected like it is for you and for me. The Word of God has power. The Word of God brings true encounter with God. The words of Jesus bring true encounter with Jesus. And there are two of those words that are spoken in this text that come out. The first, as I've already said, is that Jesus begins to preach and he says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And I think that this is actually the key to hearing all of the other words that are going to, to occur throughout this gospel, all of the other words that we hear of Jesus. The key to having them live in our hearts as true and sincere encounter and not just being words that wash over us is the beginning of his message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Because of course, we see even in the scriptures, in the words themselves, that as Jesus, as much as I am speaking of the power of his speech, there are those who hear him speak and he says that hearing, they won't really hear. There are the Pharisees that listen to him, and they don't actually, they're not transformed by it. They, they really are solidified. They're hardened in their position. And they, they sort of take and, and sort of hole up and say, I'm not going to be changed. I'm going to hear the words, but nothing's going to happen to me. God allows this, just as he allowed it in Pharaoh. He allowed it in many others throughout the ages. There's a sense in which we can hear the word and either have this sincere encounter with Jesus or we can have our hearts be hardened. There's a quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, where what he says is that the disobedient cannot have faith. Only the obedient believe. And so when the word of God strikes us, and we disobey, 
when we do not listen to the word of Jesus, when we do not hear his word and his command to repent, when we have that and we instead refuse to listen, it produces a hardening of our hearts. And over time, apart from the grace of God breaking through those barriers that we form, we'll start to hear the words over and over and again. And at the beginning, we may acknowledge our disobedience. We may understand that we are not responding to the word. And eventually, we become sort of, sort of hardened where we don't even notice our disobedience anymore. It's happening and we don't even recognize it. And instead, we are hearing the word and just allowing it to sort of crash against us, to wash around us, to not be truly experiencing an encounter with God. This is not unlike the way that the Book of Common Prayer describes our experience of the sacrament of coming to the table each and every week. If you look at the 39 articles which describe some of the fundamental beliefs of the Anglican faith, and it talks about the Lord's Supper. And it says in Article 28... The Supper of the Lord is not only a sign of the love that Christians ought to have among themselves, one to another, but rather is a sacrament of our redemption by Christ's death, insomuch that to such as rightly, worthily, and with faith receive the same, the bread which we break is a partaking of the body of Christ, and likewise the cup of blessing is a partaking of the blood of Christ." In other words, when we come to the table, it's not just a memorial. We're actually partaking in the body and blood of Christ together. But it also says, the mean whereby the body of Christ is received and eaten in the supper is faith. The wicked, as such be void of a lively faith, although they do carnally and visibly press with their teeth as St. Augustine saith, the sacrament of the body and blood of Christ. Yet in no wise are they partakers of Christ, but rather to their condemnation do eat and drink the sign or sacrament of so great a thing. In other words, if you partake of the bread and the wine apart from faith, to your judgment you are not participating in Christ. If you listen to the words of Jesus without obedience to your judgment, you do not truly encounter Christ. So to encounter Jesus in his words must always begin with repentance, with allowing his words to shape us in obedience, to listening to what he has to say and acting on it. We see this in a way played out with the second encounter with Jesus' words that happens in the same Matthew passage that we read. Jesus goes out among these fishermen on the Sea of Galilee, really probably by terms that we use. It's a big lake. But they're out there fishing upon this, this lake. And he calls and says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And I think there's an interesting thing that happens. For Jesus, his word flows from his being. And then for those who receive the word of Jesus, for those who receive an encounter with Christ, 
If they hear and encounter that, then their being is transformed by his word. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me and I will fundamentally change who you are. You see yourself as a fisherman, that your job and your role in life is to go out and gather up these animals from the sea so that you can provide for your family and for your community. This is not necessarily a bad thing in and of itself, but it's not who I am calling you to be. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And they obey. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. They receive and obey the word of Jesus and they are immediately transformed. They have an encounter with Christ that they experience through obedience to his word and their very being, their fundamental self is changed. The same thing happens again with another couple of brothers. He comes and he called them and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And this is significant, showing sort of the break in other relationships, uh, not in the sense that they're going to dishonor their father and their mother, but that they recognize the call of Jesus upon them, fundamentally reorients their, their way of life in the world. And they leave and they follow and they obey him. And I think that most of the time, those of us who are in the church, who regularly come to church, those who, who follow Jesus, who read, our, read the Bible regularly, we say that we desire to be transformed by God. We desire to have an encounter with Jesus. But there is this question that sort of hangs over all of this, is then, will you obey his word? Will you obey Will you repent and turn from your sin and obey the word of Jesus that is given to you? Because if you will not obey, you will not have the encounter that you seek and desire. You cannot have it both ways. But when you obey, when you follow after Jesus, when you do as he asks, then the encounter comes now and is real. If you desire to grow in faith, obey him. Even when it doesn't make sense, even when it's hard, even when you're not certain, if you're struggling to discern what God is saying to you but you know that you are holding back in obedience, just obey. Just do what he's telling you. And this is true when you're reading the scriptures, the word of God itself. Next week, we're going to be getting into the Beatitudes. And this is some of the hardest pieces of scripture to apply this. This is sort of the centerpiece of Dietrich Bonhoeffer's book where he's writing that, where he says, so many Christians, we read these words of Jesus and we say, aren't these hard words? And so we don't obey them. But it's true as well in your life of prayer, because if you are praying and you are doing so in obedience, you will also hear the living and active word of God continually transmitted to you through the Holy Spirit. He will bring to mind words from scripture. He will give you direction and guidance in your life. And so often what happens is that we hear the words of God and we know it's his word, but we sort of inject some sort of doubt and we go, well, I'm not really sure if that's what I'm supposed to be doing. And we do it as an excuse not to obey. 
and then our failure to obey, we lose the opportunity for that encounter with Christ that we claim to so desire. If we try to find a way to have our encounter with Christ, to have our feeling of his presence, and we try to do so apart from obedience to him, this is what Bonhoeffer calls cheap grace. And you can't do it. There is no other way to truly experience the grace of Christ apart from allowing yourself to be transformed by obedience to Christ. The word is given to you. It is a free gift requiring nothing of you. But there is a response that is demanded in return. If you want that word to become the encounter with Christ that you desire. This is a hard word. It can be hard. It's hard for me to preach sometimes, to look at my own life and see the distance between my, what I desire and my actual obedience in my life. But it's a good word too. It's the word of Jesus. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And I hope that you hear in those words themselves the sense that there is confrontation with our sin, but there's also such great hope. The kingdom of heaven is so near. It's right here. Jesus is right here. The question he asks is, will you obey? Will you listen to his word and have that word be turned into an encounter with the living Christ? This sermon is an audio ministry from Christ Our Hope Anglican Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. If you are in the area and would like to learn more about how you can worship with us in person or online, please visit us on the web at www.christourhopeanglican.org.